Ah, yes, it is the most wonderful time of the year. We are almost to Christmas. And after Christmas, we are just a scant few days away from New Year's Day. And New Year's Day is famous for an event that started all the way back in 1890 by the members of the prestigious Valley Hunt Club in Pasadena, California. They wanted to highlight their area, bring people over to Pasadena, the Mediterranean of the West, as they like to call it. They decided to hold a festival. They invited people from the snow-covered east for a little bit of a break, a midwinter holiday where they could watch games such as chariot races and jousting, foot races, polo, tug-of-war, all under the warm California sun. They even staged a race between a camel and an elephant. Five years later, they held a parade before these games. And those in the parade, they decorated carriages with flowers and other natural materials. The parade soon added marching bands and equestrian units and more horses and finally some motorized floats. Now, approximately 50 floats participate in this five and a half mile parade. On average, each float costs just a little over $250,000, a quarter of a million dollars for a float, and companies pay for it. Nearly 700,000 people line the parade route to watch in person, and approximately 70 million watch it on a screen. For the advertisers, it's worth the cost. They get all the advertising, the brand recognition. But in 1938, one company probably regretted that decision. Its floral float was making its way down Colorado Avenue with all the others, and it was lavishly furnished with tens of thousands of roses. Various colors and hues sparkled in the Southern California sun. Children watched wide-eyed, parents clapped. Everything was going great until it wasn't. Suddenly, this parade float engine coughed and sputtered, and then to everybody's amazement and to their chagrin, it stopped because it had run out of gas. All the planning, all the preparation, all the expense, all the execution to be a part of this growing event came to a screeching stop until somebody could return with a simple can of gasoline. And ironically, the float that stopped the Tournament of Roses parade in its tracks due to lack of fuel was sponsored by the Standard Oil Company, the largest oil company in the world at its time. The float ran out of fuel, but the company behind it nearly had unlimited fuel. Power unrecognized, power unutilized, really is worthless. As children of God, we're not self-sufficient. We don't operate from a reservoir of human strength and ingenuity. But we are connected to a resource of limitless power on which we draw to succeed in our Christian life. We are empowered by God's Holy Spirit. And if we stay connected to God, we will never worry about sputtering to a stop as we make our way from here to heaven. And we'll learn more about how to stay empowered right after this. Welcome to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, brought to you by Word of Flame Curriculum and the Pentecostal Publishing House. This podcast encourages adult disciples to think deeply about God's Word, further develop their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and make a greater commitment to the purpose and plan of God for their lives. Let's dive into today's lesson and explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. Good day to you, God's Word for Life listeners. I hope you're having a great Christmas week. You're listening to L.J. Harry. I am your host, and this is the God's Word for Life companion podcast. It goes right along with the lessons and the small groups that have already been taught or will be taught on this very topic. Our verse today is found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. 
when Jesus told his followers, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. The disciples spent three years with Jesus, and they were very accustomed to relying on Jesus' strength and power. Jesus' voice commanded wind and waves to be still, and they obeyed. Lame men leaped and ran home because Jesus healed them. The deaf heard their children's voices because Jesus healed them. Even death itself bowed to the power of Jesus' words at Lazarus' tomb in Jairus' house and during a funeral procession in Nain. But Jesus was preparing to leave the disciples. He made them a wonderful promise a while before that only they would have understood it. Jesus promised them in John chapter 14, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And they knew Jesus would come. They were anticipating Jesus to come again. And he would, but before his return for the church, Jesus promised that group on the hillside something even more immediate, more imminent. He told them, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. Within just days of Jesus' declaration, this new spiritual encounter would be unveiled before the entire world. This was the promise of the Father, fulfilled on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. At this final promise of the Spirit in filling his followers, Jesus drew attention to a different effect of this experience. He said, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Jesus pointed out that the Spirit's empowerment was given so we could do the work of spreading the gospel throughout the world, which is one of the wonderful reasons, many wonderful reasons, His Spirit indwells us. Time for our first question. How do you believe the Spirit's empowerment enables us to witness more effectively? Well, certainly the new church in the book of Acts needed God's power to evangelize their world, and so do we. In fact, it's likely we need His Spirit even more. The culture around us is godless. About the only thing assured to generate absolute hatred is a commitment to absolutes. The pond in which we fish for new believers is poisoned with all manner of human philosophy and corruption. Spiritual confusion so permeates our world that even something as basic as gender has been twisted until we're told there are over a hundred different genders beyond male and female, which God created. This is the world we are commissioned to reach. And in witnessing to those so heavily influenced by these godless themes, it's vital we are empowered by the Holy Ghost. Only His influence and His touch can sufficiently pierce the spiritual calluses surrounding the human heart. The demonstration of power, spiritual power, is vital for us to successfully reach our world. Jesus promised that the baptism of his Spirit would empower us to do exactly that. Now this promise of power to the early church was realized on the day of Pentecost when the baptism of the Holy Spirit was first given. On that noteworthy day, life-changing, world-changing day, miraculous fire rested on each of the 120 gathered in that upper room. They began to speak with other tongues as the power of the Spirit of God filled their lives. And as soon as they were filled with the Spirit, the Spirit's power within them began to be evident. Simon Peter, just a few weeks earlier, was so intimidated, so afraid, so scared of being associated with Jesus, he cursed and denied he even knew Jesus. And yet that self-same Simon stood before a crowd of thousands of people 
and boldly declared the gospel. Where'd that change come from? That came from being filled with the Spirit. The very next chapter of the book of Acts shows Peter and John going to the temple at the hour of prayer, and they prayed for a layman, and that layman got up and ran and leaped. What immediately after that miracle, Peter and John identified the Spirit as the source of the power that healed that formerly lame man. And the, the religious authorities, they were incensed. They had the disciples arrested. They had the disciples held in jail overnight. The next day, the religious rulers were so upset and so incensed, they threatened them to speak no longer in the name of Jesus to anybody. But the disciples testified they had to obey God because the Spirit of God empowered them. The disciples quickly recognized what a powerful demonstration the Spirit of God produces. According to Acts 4, verse 4, after the lame man was healed and the followers of Jesus preached to the multitude gathered, the people responded to the gospel and God brought the number of believers up to 5,000 men. That revelation of the Spirit's power led to the declaration of the gospel through the Spirit. The disciples prayed specifically for God to replicate this powerful pattern again and again. So what about us? How often do we pray for God to perform miracles and signs and wonders in our church or in our life? This pattern of miraculous demonstration leading to public declaration is repeated all through the book of Acts. Think about Stephen. As the number of Christians began to grow rapidly, the early church leaders were taxed with this overwhelming temporal needs of many of the members. Elders needed to be cared for. Widows needed to be cared for. And some felt the Greek-speaking widows were being neglected because they were Greek-speaking. They weren't Jewish. And so in response, the apostles called the believers together and reminded them that their first and their highest calling was to pray, to study, to seek God. It was not to wait on tables. So they sought out seven men of good reputation who were filled with wisdom and with the Spirit to take care of that part of ministry. And among those servant-hearted men was our friend Stephen. Scripture describes him in Acts 6, verse 8, as Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. This faithful servant of God, Stephen, was so full of power that God used him to facilitate great wonders and miracles. Now the Spirit worked them, but Stephen was waiting on tables, which means each of us should seek for God to use us in a likewise way within our daily life, our daily routine. These works were done among the people because the purpose for these miracles was to capture the attention of the people so they would be open to hear and respond to the gospel. The power of God that came on the church equipped them to be witnesses unto him. Here's another question. Have you ever felt intimidated to believe God could perform miracles through your prayers because you thought yourself unimportant in the church? And if so, how does Stephen's life testify that the exact opposite is true? We can be used by God. God can work signs, wonders, and miracles through us because none of us, no matter who we are or who we're not, none of us is unimportant to God or to his church. Now we're in Acts 9. And Peter went to worship with the saints in Lydda. And when he arrived, he was introduced to a man named Aeneas who had suffered some kind of palsy paralysis for eight years. It left him completely bedfast. He could not care for himself. And the power of God in Peter was activated by faith, and he declared, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. Arise and make thy bed. Acts 9, verse 34. Every parent has told their child, Arise and make thy bed. But Aeneas actually did. 
He arose immediately, and God used this miraculous power to reach the lost. For the very next verse, we read, All that dwelt at Lydda and Saren saw him and turned to the Lord. This empowerment of the Spirit produced a very successful witness, pointed everybody to Jesus. The next was in nearby Joppa, where a lady named Tabitha, or Dorcas as she was known. She was very beloved among the family of Christian believers, but she got sick and eventually died. And Peter was close by, so they sent for him. And when he arrived, Peter put them all forth. In other words, he told everybody to leave the room. And he knelt down and prayed, turned to the body, to Tabitha's dead, lifeless body, and said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. When she saw Peter, she sat up and he gave her his hand. He lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. They knew she was gone But God worked a miracle, brought her back. And Peter said, here she is. What a powerful witness to the power of God. As powerful a miracle as that was, the very next verse is just as powerful. And it was known throughout all Joppa and many believed in the Lord. When the believers were empowered by the Holy Spirit, this miracle led to an ingathering of souls. The fame of what God did produced attention to what God said and they heard and received the gospel. I want to be used by God like that. It shouldn't be a surprise when we are. God's purpose of reaching the lost with the gospel has not changed because what worked then works now. We can expect miracles and signs and wonders and God working through us in our own lives. We'll never be able to produce a miracle by just repeating specific words or some faith fervor or even volume, but we can exercise simple faith in the power of God in us. Ephesians 3 verse 20 reads, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. It's all about him. So if it's all about him, Do you believe miraculous demonstrations are more or less vital to the church's mission today than it was in the book of Acts? Do you think we need miracles more now, or did they need more miracles then? Our mission and God's intention to equip us has not changed from the days of the apostles until now. We still hear the same commission they heard firsthand. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. We have been compelled to carry the good news of salvation to people next door and people around the world. And we have the assurance that God is with us just as he was with the disciples. Our confidence is in the Spirit, him empowering our walk with him and our work for him. It's rooted directly in the promises God has spoken. He spoke them in Mark 16, verse 17. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. These signs follow us. We don't follow the signs. We simply anticipate that God in his good pleasure and grace will give us these signs and these miracles and wonders to do his will. We're not performers on a stage. We don't conjure up the spectacular just to garner attention, especially for ourselves. We are spirit-filled servants whose master has assured us that signs and wonders will be attendant to our labors, and only God will get the glory. Last question. 
How do we balance not following signs with sincerely and earnestly desiring them to follow us? How do we keep that in proper balance? Let's never seek our own. Let's never seek to be self-aggrandizing. But neither, let's never cower in fear or intimidation. We are children of God, filled with the Spirit of God, called by God as an ambassador for God. And just as natural ambassadors speak, they know their home government stands behind them with all its might and authority, so do we. We can speak with delegated authority and calm assurance that the power of heaven living in us will be demonstrated in his time according to his will and for his glory. So go, teach, baptize. The Spirit will empower you and miraculous signs will follow you. And let's wrap this up. Tim and Andrea had been saving for years just to buy their new dream car. For most of their married life, they dreamed of driving it off the lot as the sun gleamed off that shiny finish and they sat in the luxury of spotless interior still engulfed in that new car smell. Each month, they set aside money they kept saving because they knew that at long last they would be able to place the order for the car they really wanted. They've carefully chosen the color, the style, the trim options, everything. And now it's time to wait for the car to come. Imagine the excitement when Tim and Andrea were called from work to tell them that the dealership has their car. They immediately made plans to go that night, pick up the keys, and finally drive their new car off the lot. When they arrived, there it sat as pretty as they thought it would look, glistening in the fading sunlight. It was perfect. They signed the necessary paperwork. Tim settled behind the wheel of his new car for the first time, and he inserted the key in the ignition. He inhaled that deep aroma of all the years of saving and savoring this moment. With a loving glance over at Andrea, he turned the key in nothing, not even a click. Tim jumped out of the car and he called the salesman. He said, excuse me, I believe this car is dead. I, th- I think the engine is dead. The salesman replied, no, sir, it's not dead. It, it just doesn't have an engine, but it sure does look good, doesn't it? Andre revived him after a few minutes. What good is a car that looks great, but doesn't go anywhere, has no power? What good is a Christian who looks great, but has no power? As children of God, we must recognize we are empowered by the Spirit of God, and we must utilize that power. Tim and Andrea would have been no better off if they had a car with a working engine, but they never started it. The car would still have only been for show. If we never trust in, we never utilize this power for infilling of the Spirit of God we have received, looking the part will not change our world. Our mission and the desperate condition of our world demand that we insert the key of faith into the ignition and fire up this mighty source of power, the Spirit that is resident within us. Go ahead. Start it up. It runs great. Let's pray a couple of things. Number one, let's pray for God to send miracles, signs, and wonders to confirm his word. It is his will. Let's pray he would do that. And let's pray for God to give us boldness to declare his glorious gospel to our world. In the name of Jesus, we pray, Lord, that you would use us for your glory. God, I pray for miracles, signs, and wonders to confirm your word. When your word is preached, when we share it, when we testify, When we tell others who you are and what you can do, I pray you would work miracles, signs, and wonders to confirm your word and give us boldness, boldness to declare your gospel, boldness to tell our world who you are and what you have done for us and what you want to do for them. Use us for your glory, dear Jesus. 
Help us not to just look like Christians, but to be Christians, to be spirit-filled, spirit-led, used by and empowered by you. We pray all this today and give you thanks in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, thanks so much, God's Word for Life listeners. I hope you have enjoyed this podcast episode. Be sure to subscribe and share. This is a great time to share this episode and this podcast as a gift to others to help them in their devotional walk in life with Jesus Christ. And let me just quickly say this in case you're still listening. We'll give you a little reward for those who are still listening. In case you're wondering at the beginning of our lesson, the elephant won the race between the elephant and the camel. Can you believe it? The elephant won. Well, hey, head over to PentecostalPublishing.com. We've got great resources, Bibles, Bible studies, books, music, inspirational, devotionals, you name it, we've got it. PentecostalPublishing.com, and you can get some great resources and gifts for you and for others, especially this Christmas season. Next week, we take just a little break from our conversation about the Spirit within us, and we are going to celebrate Christmas. And I want to share with you an episode called Worshiping with Shepherds and Wise Men. Looking forward to sharing that with you next week. And I hope you and yours have a very Merry Christmas and always look forward to learning and living out God's Word for Life. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, Visit us today at PentecostalPublishing.com.